Hello and welcome to this audio version of the Universal Prior Substack, where I write about all things related to brains, minds, and their possible uses. My name is Jan, and I'll be reading some of the posts that I publish. If you like what you hear, consider checking out the blog at universalprior.substack.com and subscribe to get a notification whenever a new post is released. And now, without further ado... How to build a mind, neuroscience edition. Apologia. There is a story about John Nash that I like a lot. John Nash is a famous mathematician who got a fake Nobel Prize for his work in game theory as well as a Hollywood adaptation starring Russell Crowe. But if you trust his biography, his contribution to mathematics is at least as great. He had a very curious way of working. Quote, Nash's main mode of picking up information he deemed necessary consisted of quizzing various faculty members and fellow students. Some of his best ideas came from things learned only halfway, sometimes even wrongly, and trying to reconstruct them even if he could not do so completely. From A Beautiful Mind, Sylvia Nassar, page 68. End of quote. He started out with something very wrong, then went with his first wrong attempt at a solution to one of his colleagues, who helped make it slightly less wrong. Nash then repeated this procedure until, in the end, he had a working proof. Apart from hard questions about ownership, can Nash really claim that he produced the proof? And the obvious issue that Nash turned very schizophrenic in his later years, I admire this way of working at least for doing very hard research, and aspire to do the same. I really, really want to get answers, and I don't care if I have to recruit help and produce a lot of nonsense on the way. This is, of course, just a poor fig leaf of a defense for all the nonsense I am producing on this platform. Mea culpa. Several Perspectives on Development after building a digital person, writing love letters to albatrosses, philosophizing about the scale in academia, and asking large language models pointed questions, it is time to write about something where I actually have institutional credentials, i.e. neuroscience and the development of the brain. Why is this an interesting topic? While traditionally brain development is a very biology-heavy topic, there are some beautiful results and ideas that generalize far beyond biology and become relevant for people working on artificial intelligence or computations in general. And those results are not widely known, especially not outside a small community in computational neuroscience. This essay is written with that in mind, and I have tried to reduce jargon to a minimum. The biology info in this post is focused on small mammals, mouse pups, which might feel like a limitation, but then again, mice can do a lot more than you'd think. Exhibit 1, skateboard mouse. Uh, here I've included a gif of a mouse riding a skateboard. This post is going to be very heavy in uh, imagery, which I will do my best to describe to you, dear listener, um, but I do recommend uh, checking out the post to get the full uh, experience. A pretty pictures perspective. I could not call myself a biologist by any stretch of the imagination, but I can get very excited about videos. Seeing biology in action is very cool. Embryonic day one. Here is a recording of a mouse embryo at the two cell stage. And included here is a gif of a, a video of two cells uh, dividing into more and more cells and eventually 
forming a ball of cells. Embryonic day six to eight. From here, things get out of hand quickly. Cells just keep on dividing. Here is now included another uh, animated GIF uh, that shows the ball of cells expanding. Um, it is not super easy to see, but inside that ball of cells is a sheet of cells that folds into a tube, appropriately named the neural tube, that will eventually develop into the central nervous system, i.e. the brain and the spinal cord. Uh, here's another GIF now showing the uh, developing ball of cells from a side view uh, that shows the neural tube folding in the middle a bit more clearly. Embryonic day 11. And then we're basically there. Just add a few tiny paws, mouth, eyes, tail, all the good stuff. And here is one more animated GIF of an embryo of a mouse developing. And you can clearly discern now the features of the mouse pup uh, with the tail and uh, the little paws. Embryonic day 20, postnatal day 1. The mouse pup is born, but at that point the pup is still extremely not ready for the world. Day 1 here is the first day after birth. So here is a video of just a cute little pile of uh, mouse pups. Postnatal day 10. While there is a lot happening on the inside, not so much as showing on the outside, we still only have a pile of adorable mouse pups. In the animated GIF now, we can see another pile of mouse pups, this time slightly larger. Postnatal day 25. But fast forward 15 more days and it's like day and night. The mice, not pups anymore, are basically ready to go. Around postnatal day 14, they open their eyes, grow hair and start running around. And there is still a lot more that happens after this stage. The brain keeps changing throughout the entire lifetime. But these first two to three weeks set up a lot of the central nervous system. It is great how visual this part of biology is. I hope you found those videos as enjoyable as I did. It's very important to get a feel for what you are talking about, otherwise you might miss what's in plain sight. In the end, all models and theories cash out to a handful of cells or a pile of mouse pups. Everything is very messy. A molecular biology perspective. Okay, that's what development looks like. How does it work? Let's zoom in a bit further. Those first cells in the clip at the top contain the entire genetic code. Can we understand that? How does it instruct the cell to divide like that and to form that ball and the pile of pups and do all the other things? Those are reasonable questions, right? Well, take this as an answer. And here included is a diagram of lots of interacting molecular factors that look very scary. That's a lot to take in, and if you make the mistake of asking an expert about it, you will learn 1000 interesting facts about BMI inhibition of P19 before lunchtime. Luckily, I am not an expert on molecular biology, so I will give you just the most high-level explanation of how development happens on the molecular level. Quote, the behavior of a cell is determined by the proteins it expresses. The central dogma of molecular biology says that DNA makes RNA and RNA makes protein. So proteins come from the genes. Since we want a lot of different cells that do different things, we need cells with different proteins. Signaling pathways like Sonic Hedgehog, WNT, ERBB, IGFIR and NOTCH can tell the cell which genes to express and, therefore, which protein to express. How does the brain know which signal to send to which cell? 
It just makes sure that different signaling molecules end up in different parts of the developing brain." End quote. All of this is like really complicated, but we are making good headway in improving our understanding. And perhaps there is hope that things will get easier to understand when we know more. Perhaps everything will just beautifully fall into place. But also perhaps not. Quote, there is no rule that says nature cannot be more complex than our brains can handle. And after billions of years of evolution, why should it be simple? End of quote. Perhaps there are no shortcuts in explaining how the brain develops. Perhaps there is no simple submodules that can be carved out, studied in isolation and reduced. That would be kind of annoying. A computational perspective. But explanations in terms of genes feel very unsatisfactory anyway. If I ask, how does a computer work? It is not technically wrong to give me an explanation of the chip making procedure, but what I actually want to hear is an explanation of Boolean circuits and perhaps a bit of the theory of computation. It's not actually very useful to understand exactly how a microprocessor works at the transistor level, but the theory of computation has lags in terms of what it can explain. So are there statements about brain development that are flavored a bit more like the theory of computation? Despite the somewhat fatalistic arguments about the possible futility of understanding biology, there are also good reasons to believe that we can get nice and simple answers. The implicit assumption that runs through the gene-centered perspective outlined in the previous section is that the genes execute a complicated program that eventually produces a functional body and brain. To understand that process, we have to completely reverse engineer the genetic program. But as we have seen in the videos, a newly born mouse experiences a lot of development after birth, at which point the animal is already exposed to its environment. How exactly does that make it better? Doesn't that just make it even more complicated? Indeed, the environment can be very hard to predict and quite perturbative. Predators, conspecifics, seasons, losing an eye or a limb, the list goes on and on. It would be very hard to come up with individually tailored solutions to compensate for all of the possible perturbations. And weirdly enough, that's a silver lining. In these situations where the system is constantly perturbed and has to solve a lot of different problems, general solutions emerge often. These general solutions tend to be not too complicated and they tend to work well even outside the training domain. And they are one thing above all, robust to perturbations. A dynamical systems perspective. How do you get robustness? There is a standard answer from control theory that generalizes, tightly coupled feedback loops. And indeed, there is a very natural candidate for implementing such a loop, the reciprocal interaction of developing brain circuits and the activity they produce. The circuit is the network of neurons that emerges of a development. And these neurons spontaneously produce action potentials and excite slash inhibit each other. The developing brain is highly active. Here is what the activity looks like in the developing retina with cells that express a specific marker that produces light when the neurons are active. And here embedded is another animated GIF that shows waves spreading across the developing retina called retinal waves. These patterns of activity are called retinal waves and they propagate from the retina to a central relay station and then finally into the visual cortex. 
Here is another embedded GIF that shows retinal waves now spreading through the superior colliculus and through the visual cortex. But spontaneous activity is only half of the story. The other half comes from the fact that the circuit organizes itself depending on the activity it experiences. In machine learning, this is the gradient descent that wiggles the parameters of the network to improve performance. In neuroscience, it might also be gradient descent, but it can also mean the formation or removal of connections. Exploring these rules for reshaping the brain is perhaps the most exciting thing we do at the lab where I do my PhD. The most famous principle is probably the Hebbian postulate, cells that fire together, wire together, but there is a lot more nuance to be explored. Changes in the circuit depend on the exact timing of neural activity, on the scale of milliseconds, the type of cell experiencing the change, the location of the connection on the neuron, and is modulated depending on the context. But the big picture that emerges is that these changes coordinate to increase the computational capabilities, stability, and flexibility of the circuit. Not only is the interaction between activity and plasticity goal-directed in the sense of making the circuit more capable, it is also very robust. For example, if the animal loses an eye and thus receives less input to the brain, the brain will increase the amount of input from other sources until it again reaches the correct level. But what is the correct level? What is the goal of development? Development might be establishing a prior for predictive processing. A particularly powerful theory of how the mind works is the predictive processing theory. In this theory, the brain is constantly generating and updating a mental model of the environment. The model is used to generate predictions of sensory input that are compared to actual sensory input. This comparison results in prediction errors that are used to update and revise the mental model. Hence, the goal of the brain is to arrive at a mental model that is really good at predicting sensory input. And, in this view, the goal of development would be to prepare the brain as well as possible for predicting future sensory input. Development establishes prior knowledge that is useful for understanding the world. There is a bit of evidence for something like this. Here are some of my favorites. Spontaneous cortical activity reveals hallmarks of optimal internal models of the environment. Retinal waves prime visual motion detection by simulating future optic flow. Innate visual learning through spontaneous activity patterns. Slow feature analysis on retinal waves leads to V1 complex cells. This is about as far as the field has come, i.e. this is the state of the art. That's a bit of a shame, because it's only just starting to get interesting. I have so many more questions. What can we say about this prior? How much? What kind of information is contained in spontaneous activity? Is this prior just for sensory and motor cortices, or might it also extend to higher order function? Where are these priors coming from? Probably evolution, but when and can we identify changes over time? Under which circumstances is it possible to bootstrap a prior in this fashion? i.e. changes in circuit lead to changes in activity, lead to changes in the circuit, lead to... How might a developmental prior relate to large pre-trained foundational models in machine learning? Can we apply some of the techniques vocabulary from the theory of computation to this domain? If I ever get to have my own research lab, these are the questions I would love to work on. In conclusion, 
condensed into a neat list of three points, what is my take on the development of the brain? One, brain development is a protracted process that continues well after birth. Two, after birth, the animal is exposed to a highly volatile environment that necessitates robust and general solutions. Three, the reciprocal interaction between circuit organization and activation might robustly bootstrap prior information into the brain. As mentioned above, point three is conjecture, but I'm very excited about that conjecture. And if anyone has some leads or ideas or questions, feel free to send me an email or to book some time for a chat. Looking forward to talk. This was an audio version of the Universal Prior Substack. If you enjoyed listening, consider subscribing to the newsletter to get a notification about a new post straight to your inbox. And with this, until next time.